Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Mountain Mindset. My name is Andre Manzouk, I'm a mental performance coach, professor of sports science, and the founder of MZK Performance. This week I'm joined by Clara Brown. Clara is a member of the Team USA Paracycling program, gearing up to compete at World Cups and the Tokyo Games this summer. During our conversation, Clara and I chat deeply about developing self-belief, how to utilize visualization effectively, and why a good sleep and pre-sleep routine is key for maximizing recovery and driving performance. I really appreciated hearing Clara's insights into preparation, into training, and into recovery. I think that's a really powerful lesson we can all learn from someone who's truly at the top of their game. On that note, let's dive into our conversation. Clara, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So why don't you start us off here, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um... My name is Clara Brown, and I am a Paralympic hopeful. I ride bikes. I ride um, road and track, and I come from a town just outside of Portland, Maine, but now live in Whitefish, Montana, which is just outside of Glacier National Park, and I've been pretty new to cycling. I've been um, riding competitively only for about three years, but it's been kind of a, a whirlwind quick rise to success which i'm very you know like it's it's been a lot of hard work but it's also been a quick quick trajectory um so yeah i'm hoping to compete in my first paralympic games this summer in tokyo so they were postponed obviously uh from the pandemic and very grateful to have the opportunity to be able to compete um so yeah I know that's no that's that's great what was your origin story with cycling you said you started recently relatively speaking yeah, so I grew up as an athlete, um, just kind of doing a bunch of different sports as a kid. And my kind of passion was gymnastics. I was um, in the gym, you know, 20 hours a week and doing handstands any chance I could, you know, one of those kids. Uh, and then one day at practice, I had a fluke accident and I landed on my head and crushed two vertebrae in my neck and damaged my spinal cord. So initially paralyzed from the neck down and then um, relearned how to do basic life tasks again as I regained function neurologically and then eventually how to walk and then ride my bike. Um, and that was just kind of coincidence that one of my goals in rehab was to, to learn how to ride a bike again because it was never really a passion of mine growing up. I just kind of set it as a milestone of you know returning to normalcy. And then... I didn't really ride until college. I was a coxswain on the rowing team. So the person that steers and directs the crew and loved being on the water, but I wasn't doing anything physical for myself and really missed that aspect. And my body had recovered enough to be able to do something. I couldn't run, but um, I was looking for other sports and a friend recommended a road bike and it was an instantaneous love. I um, modified the bike quite a bit just because my right side is uh, quite a bit paralyzed still, but very much um, easy to accommodate with cycling and I could ride. And then, yeah, I worked for a bike touring company post-college and just coincidentally met uh, a man who's on the Paralympic Advisory Committee on one of my trips. And he was like, 
super passionate. And he was like, Clara, you need to get into competitive cycling. You're perfect. Let me connect you with all of my connections at the USOPC. And yeah, a few weeks later, I was at a talent ID camp and yeah, that was 2018. So very quick kind of turnaround to getting on Team USA and competing on the, the world stage. It's been a lot. <laughs> That's so serendipitous. I and mean, it sounds like things have moved a pretty quick pace since then in terms of your career trajectory. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my talent ID camp was in June of 2018. And then I was invited to race at a World Cup, the last one of the season in August. So just a few months later. And I wasn't part of Team USA. They just invited me to compete as an independent athlete. And I ended up taking bronze in the road race. So um it was just indicative that I did have kind of um, a future in the sport as long as I, you know, committed to training and that's what I did. So I moved into the training center in January, six months later and made the national team and yeah, ended up taking two world championships a year later and now going to my first games. <laughs> so it's been, yeah, very fast. <laughs> That first, uh, that first bronze medal must have felt like such an achievement or such like a key milestone. Yeah, it was. Um, it it's hard to put in words. I just I didn't know what at all like to expect from my competitors, and you know I was fit and rode quite a bit, but I wasn't training specifically, and so I just didn't know where I was at. And then to be able to take away a podium from my first race, I was like, okay, I think I might have a chance at this. This is pretty cool. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I still have and had quite a bit to learn, um, but was really grateful to have a, a solid result my first go. That's amazing. And then, uh, <laughs> so what's something that we might not know about you? Um, I love to do crosswords. I'd say that's like one of my favorite things to do in my downtime. Um, I also eat a lot of pickles um like love pickles anytime I go to a grocery store no matter what I like to go through the pickles aisle and just see what they have you know like <laughs> you know you have your classic like Vlasics and you know, those but then I want to see like if there are any kind of local specialties I've got to try out the pickles so are we talking like pickles out in a jar or yeah oh, yeah <laughs> I didn't realize there was that much variety that's that's actually really interesting <laughs> really Oh my gosh, you go to any American grocery store, there's so many pickles. I mean, I don't like I don't like bread and butter pickles that much. That's probably the one type that's not my thing, but I like spicy pickles, I like, you know, dill pickles. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, can't explain it. I just really like them. <laughs> so if you reflect upon your career to date, have there been any real real standout moments along the way? Yeah, I think um obviously the the strong results like my very first I won two world championships in the same weekend at track national or track worlds in Milton Canada which is actually just outside of Toronto um and yeah those stand out to me as these milestone achievements and that's what solidified my spot on the Tokyo team um but I think more like more memorable are the moments where like things didn't quite work out and I took them as learning experiences um so like the year prior i had made my very first team trip you know i was competing on behalf of team usa at track worlds 2019 and i my very first start very first race i fell out of the start gate 
and just had like a horrible performance. I mean, it was, you know, it was a few seconds slower than what I had expected time-wise. And on the track, it's very much like you have, you can gauge how fast you're going to go. Obviously it's a very, it's a timed <clears throat> event. Um, but it was just like the nerves got the best of me. I just was so anxious and like, I felt like the next, even just the next start I had, I was able to kind of refocus and just, you know, not, not be so caught up in the moment. Um, and then also just training. I've had some really memorable times where like I've been miserable or I've been really strong or something. And I have taken that, you know, I'll think about that when I'm suffering in a race and be like, okay, I was this strong on this day. Like I can repeat that. Or I made it through this horrible ride. Like I made it to whatever my end goal was. If I could have done that, I can do this. So yeah, those are kind of the the memorable moments. Yeah, it sounds like you learned a lot. You learned a lot from them, in particular uh, with kind of falling out of starter. Yeah, <laughs> just how to like calm the nerves and not not be so caught up, and you know, like such a big, a big thing to be able to compete on the world stage. And yeah, luckily it didn't have any big repercussions. I had a solid performance the rest of the weekend. I had three more races I could you know, have a second chance at. So glad to have, have that behind me. Hopefully never again. <laughs> well, uh, like I said, an important lesson for I think any athlete to learn, no matter what you're, what you're competing in and uh, something that gets the best of us, I think all, all sometime or another. Yeah. Just to not be so, I mean, it's hard. You're always going to have race day nerves, but just the learning how to mentally prepare for um, big events. And I think, you know, going into the next world championships and, you know, my Pan Am games performance, I, I really had more successful than I could have expected. And it really, I would credit that to just being able to mentally better prepare and feel like I could calm myself down and, and, you know, try to calm the anxiety a little bit. So yeah, learning experiences. <laughs> we touched upon it as we went there, but I'm just curious for any other specific kind of standout challenges along the way and, you know, any, any other kind of effects, be that uh, positive or negative they've had down the line. Yeah, I would say um, some of the big, like obviously the most recent challenge has been COVID and not racing. Um, obviously I'm so new to the sport. And so I, I was just actually talking to my boyfriend about this. We had a, a race weekend last weekend. Um, and I was so nervous because it felt like I was brand new to racing again. You know, he's had 10 years of experience and a year off is, you know, a drop in the bucket or like, you know, obviously it affects him. But for me, I was like a full year off after only racing for two years prior to that. I have, I feel like I'm just a brand new rider again. And, um, I would say that was a huge challenge for me. I didn't have any issues staying motivated training, but it was just the more of the anxiety and the mental preparedness going into, um, that last weekend. And luckily again, I had a very solid performance, but, uh, um, it was, it was a challenge just going a year without, you know, pinning a number and lining up to the start line. Um, and then I've had injuries along the way. I've had, you know, obviously this body that's been through quite a bit. Um, and I have a lot of orthopedic issues on my strong neurologic side and that I've been dealing with a lot of overuse 
challenges. And so just learning how to take it easy has been actually another big point. Um, and so luckily was at the Olympic and Paralympic training center for over a year and could take advantage of all the recovery tools and sports medicine. Um, but just even mentally you know, taking time away from your sport and being so new, all I want to do is train as hard as I possibly can and get better and realizing that you can't get better while you're injured. And so that, um, that posed a real challenge for me just because I'm very much go, go, go and want, want to be training hard all the time. <laughs> so. it, it must be really grueling on your body being on a, being on a bike for that long. Yeah. I mean, it adapts quickly, but um, you know, even just like neck and shoulders, things that you're not using physically, like you're mostly using your legs, but it takes its toll just everywhere. And so being on top of addressing those little issues as they come up has been huge for me. So yeah. And the legs obviously take a huge beating, <laughs> the, the powerhouse. Do you find that there's a large difference in your preparation for track and, and road events? I mean, training wise, yes, just because they're totally different. Track is very sprint, sprint based, um, a lot more power and faster. Um, and then my road events are longer. In para, we road race, like my road races are about an hour and a half. So they're not, you know, like when you think road racing, probably think these long tour tours. Um, so we, mine are a little bit shorter and that allows me to do both, I would say. But um, yeah, certainly in road season, I have quite a bit more volume and I'm doing um, time trialing, which is different in its own regard. You know, training for that is such a unique um, event. And so, yeah, I, it changes based on the time of year and going into Tokyo, I'll do both road and track. So um, kind of having to find the sweet spot of training for both of those and being strong in all four events I'll race on between the road and track. So yeah, quite a bit that goes into it. So what does the format for, for Tokyo look like for you? Is it a medley of events? Are they, are they independent events from each other? All of mine are independent. Um, that's, I, I could potentially make a team sprint team on the track. We, we haven't announced that team yet. So could potentially do one team event, but my, the events I'll do for sure, I'll do two on the track and those are first up. Uh, I'll do a, an individual pursuit, which is three kilometers, so roughly about four minutes for my field. And then a 500 meter time trial, which is roughly 40 seconds or so for my field. So both pretty quick. And then I'll have a week off and then uh, I'll do my road events. So I'll do an individual time trial and then the road race. So all of it, yeah, potential, potential for medals and individual events for me. So it's, it's just a interesting, interesting game. That's, uh, that's really exciting. It's also so varied. I, I can't believe the differences and distances within such a short time span. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm lucky to be able to compete on all of them. That's, uh, you know, I, I hope to be prepared. I mean, obviously I'll focus on a few my my more specialty events but um i hope to be able to do well in all four so what would you what would you say your specialty falls as the i would say on the track i'm definitely more of a pursuiter um and so i'll focus on that going into the game so that's you know the four minute power um and then and that's in the time trial position as well and so that will translate to 
uh, my time trial. I think I'll focus on that too. Uh, I just had a really strong time trial performance uh, last weekend in Alabama. So it really made me feel like we've been preparing properly and like I can only improve going into Tokyo. So at least have that. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about that event uh, this past weekend. Yeah, that was uh, a, a domestic qualifier event. We'll have one World Cup race in um, Europe, which will be early May. And it's our last opportunity as countries to earn spots for the game. So you're, you know, spending the quad building up to each game's trying to earn um, as many points as possible so you can qualify as many athletes. So this is kind of a big deal with the World Cup. Obviously, we hadn't had racing for a year. And so this is our last opportunity to hopefully be able to bring more athletes to Tokyo for Team USA. Um, so this past weekend was just the qualifying event to make the team for the World Cup. And um, both my boyfriend and I qualified. So that was really cool for us to have that weight lifted off and know that we'll both go to Belgium and be able to compete. So yeah, yeah. it was well, uh, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, the big weekend. So I think it stands out while we're chatting here, but uh, I'm just curious about what kind of mindset you approach uh, life with, you approach performance with, kind of how does that set for you? I would say overall, I'm pretty optimistic. Um, yeah, I would say in general, I, I like to think of the positives of things, um, especially, you know, getting hurt at such a young age. It was a pretty traumatic event, but I just always had this mindset, like, I will get better. And it's hard because so much of the recovery aspect is is specific to my injury. You know, like, I was very lucky in the way that I was hurt and that I had an incomplete spinal cord injury. So I was able to at least have the potential to regain function. And so I think there's a, a, a lot of my recovery can be credited to just the nature of my injury, but also obviously I put in quite a bit of work. And so I don't want to, you know, like say, I don't want to talk up the mindset of like, if you believe it, you can do it. But, um, I really did feel like I was so focused on returning to my, like my athletic pursuits and, you know, getting outside and doing all these things that I loved that it really drove me to stay positive and knowing that I would be back doing it at some point at some capacity um and yeah I like to play this game with myself of like you know people talk like oh worst case scenario this will happen well I like to flip it and say like okay best case scenario and that's how I'll look at things so I'll say like okay best case scenario like this is what would happen if if I go after whatever it may be. And so I like to kind of use that perspective whenever looking at situations. And it, it really <laughs> seems like that, uh, like optimistic framework has been something that's persisted into, into kind of later life and now into your cycling career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that definitely, even just with the cycling career in itself, like I was working this job and had asked for some time off to go to the talent ID camp once I met this man, George, and, you know, had some disagreements about time off and everything. And I was like, I'll just do it. Like, I'm going to go to this camp, like best case scenario, like I impress them and, you know, I'm somewhat into the athlete pool and hopefully can make the national team. And 
I, that happened, you know, and like I had, I had put in quite a bit of work, you know, trying to stay fit in general, just before the camp. And then, um, just demonstrated there that I had work ethic and had passion for bikes and really wanted to be, um, competitive. And I think that showed, um, and so, you know, just putting out your best self and hoping that things, things go your way. <laughs> I mean, there's some luck involved, but also I think, you know, just being positive and, and willing something can have a big effect. Was there anywhere that you kind of learned that best case scenario game from just something that prompted that? Or is that um, something you developed yourself? I don't know. I, I like, I would say in general, like the people I surround myself with are pretty positive and, um, I don't even know how, like when that came up. Like I, I remember in college, you know, like obviously going through a lot of identity crises yeah, as all college students do or many do um and just kind of checking myself and being like okay what am I so scared of like there are a lot of great things that could come of whatever decision was I was being faced with and so I, I don't know it's been um I, I don't know I can't even really credit it to a particular time or person um just feeling like I've been kind of optimistic my whole life and then you know as things come up just framing them as as you know positives <laughs> well it's uh i mean it's, it's uplifting to hear about for sure and it's uh i think it's a really strong lesson for for a lot of us just about being able to kind of take those risks and view stuff as opportunities yeah that's a good way to put it <laughs> yeah viewing them as opportunities and you know if if, if you fail it's a it's a learning experience and i've certainly had my fair share of failures or things you know not necessarily going my way but um yeah you can look at them as learning experiences and hopefully improve your chances for the next next opportunity <laughs> which we, we chatted a little bit earlier about settling your nerves before big events and uh i'd love to hear a little bit of your perspective on kind of mental strategies or skills or tactics that you might use to either settle the nerves in that situation or in any other performance or, or, or really life yeah. situation. Um, and I think it's interesting, like as a gymnast, I was so performance-based and routine-based. Um, I visualized a lot, especially the events I was like, I, balance beam was kind of my, what my kryptonite, like that's what really scared me. And I found like just any chance I had to visualize things I what ended up being my strongest event you know spending so much time mentally preparing for my you know even just practice but then obviously the the events where I was competing um it really translated and so taking that strategy to the bike obviously like you're just pedaling but if you are like visualizing how you're breathing and how like the corners and you know like getting to know the courses I felt so much more at ease, especially in the track. Like when I was describing falling out of the start gate, like I just mistimed it. And now I just visualize, okay, like I have the countdown and I know like my body position and I know the timing. And in my head, I can run through that and I feel a lot more prepared. Um, and then also in gymnastics, I felt very much 
like I loved I was such a fangirl and I loved watching the the professionals and like my idols um at the time you know like the U.S. gymnasts have always been strong but I just like I idolized you know the that era of early 2000s and so with cycling I've kind of applied that same strategy of like I've been really watching a lot of like professional racing and hoping to apply that to um the para aspect and what I'm doing so like for example my sprint form has gotten so much better just watching like able-bodied professionals and being able to mimic that and I think you know visual visualizing and being able to to mimic has been really helpful so it, it sounds like the visualization is really a multi-sensory process as well is that is that kind of accurate yeah I would say especially too with like my body's not really what it what it once was, you know, like I have a lot of weird like sensory and perception issues. And so being able to like add that extra element of like preparedness, I would say has been really helpful to be able to actually like perform and have my body do what I'm hoping it will do. Do you have a, do you have a structured visualization practice as part of your training or is it kind of like an as and when thing? Yeah. Yeah. I don't really take like any structured time. I just, um, I do have quite a bit of downtime with, with my day to day. Like I spend quite a bit of time on the bike and then when I'm not on the bike, it's recovery. And so I'll be doing like sitting in the recovery boots or doing, you know, uh, massage or whatever it may be. And so I do have the time to just kind of get lost in my thoughts and visualize. So yeah. And obviously like lying in bed at night, like I really try to not be on my phone. And so I'll just take that time to, to make a pointed effort to, to think through whatever, whatever may be coming up routine wise. And is it the case that you're often visualizing what's coming up or what's happened during the day? Yeah, exactly. Or like, even I, I like to think back through, okay, so I went on a three hour ride and there totally corners or like things that I felt like I could have taken differently, like different lines, you know, whatever, like if there were potholes or something like I had hit, like I can go back and visualize and say like, oh, I could have done this differently or taken this corner better. And then riding behind my boyfriend, which we are training partners and ride quite a bit together. I feel like I've learned so much just by watching him and then mimicking it or like replaying how he took a, a specific line or whatever it may be and, and applying that to the next time we go and ride. So it's been helpful for sure. Just to, yeah, have some time to think and, and reflect and then also like visualize what's coming up. And like wh when we were in Huntsville, we had four days to pre-ride the course. So I felt like I really knew the course and I could, you know, every night before I went to bed, just think through like this corner and where I'm going to put power into the pedals and where I'm going to kind of back off. And yeah, I had the best time trial of my life, I would say. So, yeah. It's uh, it's really neat to hear you talk about just a crossover between visualization and like observational learning or vicarious experience. I think there's so much we can learn from like uh, pairing those two things together. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I'm no I'm no expert on you know the terminology, but um, I've just found that as great strategies for for activities I've done, and it applies to skiing too. Like, especially having a a weirdly functioning body, like my right leg doesn't 
work very well and it's always kind of lagging in the turns. And so I'll like go out skiing with some very competent friends and just really try to like mimic how they're turning. And I find like my right leg can perform so much better as I, as I like watch somebody else and kind of try to, yeah. But when you were younger and you kind of got into visualization as a practice, was it something that you were always pretty competent at like forming images and being able to kind of stay in that zone? Or was it something you had to work at a wee bit? Um, that was definitely a skill we practiced in gymnastics, like with led by our coaches. Um, yeah. And, and I'm so grateful. Like there are a lot of, um, just life skills that I've been able to translate from gymnastics growing up. And of course we spent so much time in the gym, but yeah, it would be almost every practice at the end, we would be stretching and just kind of cooling down and our coach would walk us through kind of a visualization of like whatever routine we had just done. And I thought, yeah, like that was really helpful to, to then prepare me for whatever came next, <laughs> the whole neck injury. And then, yeah, rowing, I, I, I've kind of applied it to, to every skill set beyond, beyond gymnastics. So. I'm always really fascinated by how we can apply these skills we learn as youth athletes or youth that we're coaching can apply these skills and then transfer them into all these different situations throughout their, their future lives, be that athletically or otherwise. Yeah, it's, it's huge. I mean, like being an athlete has so many um, amazing, you know, transferable skills beyond the field. And of course, like, that's kind of a cliche. People know that, but um, I've taken a lot of the mental strategy most. Um, I found that most helpful. When you when you're preparing for kind of a new course and you're riding it in that like pre-race preparation phase, is there anything specific you're doing to gather information for visualization, or is it mostly relying on memory? Um, I mean, yeah, like there are things I will pointedly look for. So, um, we'll look for like pavement quality, and you know, like you'll have a whole stretch of road, like whether it's a lane blocked off or two lanes, whatever and always in search of like the cleanest pavement and the fastest pavement and so you'll ride the course and you'll say like okay the right lane is pretty bumpy like i'm gonna stay over to the left side where it's smoother pavement and faster or okay this is this is kind of a hard curve to the right like i'm gonna make sure i'm gonna hug that curb to the right so i have the fastest line or like the shortest line um or as i'm riding corners like i'll say okay i have a left hand turn here like Am I carrying speed? How much speed? Where, how how much do I have to break before, you know, planning that turn? Um, and so, yeah, there's quite a bit that I'm looking for. And it's also really helpful to ride with other people and talk it through and say, like, okay, how fast would you take this? Or, like, at what point would you kind of back off the pedals and, like, get out of your aero bars? It, this is more for time trialing. Um, and so just being able to kind of trade notes and talk out loud allows me to memorize, like memorize things a lot faster. Um, and then of course, just repetition, being able to go through the course several times before riding, which is usually the case um, and will be the case in Belgium because we're, we're there so early for quarantining purposes can definitely visualize. Um, but then using, using tools like Google maps too, like if for whatever reason can't get to the course 
and look at street view and just say like, okay, it looks as of 2015, the, the pavement was pretty good. So hopefully we can stay on the, on the right side where the pavement looks pretty good from the street view or whatever. I mean, yeah, there's a lot that goes into, into course previewing and I don't know, looking for things that stick out and eking out any amount of speed you can. It's uh, it's fascinating, I think, to see the differences between different activities and how that um, preparation phase when it comes to visualizing and knowing what's yeah. going to happen terrain-wise goes on. I work with uh, a lot of golfers that really use Google Maps as like a crutch when they're playing a, a new-to-them course or a new-to-them tournament. Yeah. Uh, and similarly, I, I worked previously with a middle-distance runner who found a GoPro footage of the course they were about to run. And it was yeah. like it was like a gold mine. It was like, oh my god, I can see, I can see the course. Yeah, uh... speaking of, we have a, like, our Tokyo course is on the Fuji Speedway, and so I've just Googled, like, videos of Formula One cars, like, driving the course, and I'm like, okay, this is what it looks like to take it at 100 miles an hour, I don't think I'll take it that fast, but, like, it's been so helpful to see, I mean, because we as a team have not gotten over for a course preview. And so, yeah, there are so many tools out there to help you kind of anticipate what you're getting into. So, yeah. A little bit of uh, technological creativity goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> totally. That's really cool. So how about habits and routines? Is there anything that you kind of do regularly or it's been a, a real game changer for you in terms of those structural aspects? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest changes I've made over this past year during quarantine and so much time at home has been um, being particular about sleep and um, sleep hygiene and being very aware of like how much screen time I'm doing throughout the day and then also leading up to bed. And so I really try to put the phone away like at least half an hour before bed and turn it on do not disturb and don't touch it until I wake up, you know? And like, I think that's been huge allowing me to like sleep better throughout the night and fall asleep earlier, you know, I'm not spending like hours trying to fall asleep and like calm my brain down. Um, and then also I'll do like a stretching routine most nights just to like, <laughs> Like, I hate to even admit it, but like set the mood, like put some candles out, like the essential oil diffuser going, just like make it a nice Zen moment and just stretch and like move. And it's not any particular like routine, but just like kind of winding down, I would say. And like, obviously can get lost in the thoughts there, of like visualizing courses or whatever I've talked about um, has been really helpful to just be better about sleep. And then I also like to do, I don't know, some sort of breathing routine. Um, if I am particularly anxious, like I've really enjoyed doing box breathing. I think has been just a way to like calm myself down if I'm particularly stressed about something. Do you want to give us a quick overview of what box breathing is for, for the listeners? Do you do box breathing as well? <laughs> um, that's where you you're inhaling for a certain amount of time like five seconds or so we'll say you'll hold your breath and then you'll exhale for five seconds hold your breath and then you'll start the process again so it's like a very methodical um 
and it's just you can kind of get lost in in thought of like just a very rhythmic um like in and out and like holding your breath and just feeling um like the the weight of like deep breaths it's really nice <laughs> and uh, and soothing yeah i think rhythmic is a is a very good description of that yeah and uh you you talked about kind of what you or your sleep hygiene your sleep routine i think as athletes we're often very quick to develop these pre-performance routines where it's like i do you know steps one through seven before a race or before practice um and i always think it's really curious that we don't often apply that as much to our sleep routine and we can we can totally use that time the same as we would like a pre-race time right it's like here's my 45 minute lead up to going to sleep I need yeah. to you know, work through my steps and you know, start yeah. one and keep it going. It sounds like you do a really good job of that or you've developed that over the, yeah. the past year. Yeah, I would say in general, like I'm not a very routine oriented person. Like even race day, I don't, I try to really not be super particular about things, especially as we travel internationally so much. Things are out of your control and like you can't, you know, you can't always have things go exactly what, what you want and so I want to be able to be flexible and not be super particular but I think sleep is one of those things where you can kind of control it it's you know it's um it's your own schedule hopefully usually and so yeah take that where you can and there's probably a big win when you're traveling a lot for for competition right because previous to the past year and then hopefully in future future years um I know sleep on the road can be a real challenge for a lot of athletes yeah definitely um it it can be and just hope that you have a comfy bed and i don't know i i you know take a few things that help me sleep better earplugs or whatever maybe if we have roommates um yeah so is there anyone you've been inspired by along the way or anything in particular that you've learned from them yeah i there i definitely have idols within um my sport currently and i am so fortunate to work with one of like the greatest american cyclists ever women cyclists sarah hammer um she's our national team coach and i just feel so, like she has all this wisdom to share like anytime we're on the road together i'm i'm constantly asking her questions about um her race experience and she doesn't give these long speeches, but she'll just give little bits of information or like little bits of encouragement that like just sit with me. And I feel so lucky to just kind of have her as both an idol and as a coach. Um, and then I also have like heroes outside of cycling. Um, I was thinking, you know, as I saw the, the questions, I'm like, okay, one of my current idols is Angel Collinson. Like she's one of the best skiers in the world. And I think, um, she what appeals to me is like she's a skier but she also you know has so much outside of skiing that she's interested in and mindset and you know just like healthy lifestyle and um balance in life outside of just skiing and i really that appeals to me like that's been one of um the coolest things about my training this past year is being able to be very committed to cycling but also like have time and making time to do other things that I love like skiing and hiking and um I think when you're just like stuck in tunnel vision with one thing you can't necessarily 
um, be stimulated all the time by it. Like you just need other, other passions and other hobbies. And yeah, that's what I really love about her. It's like, she's an amazing athlete and also has other, other passions. It sounds like that variety gives you like a good psychological reset as well, or a chance for you to kind of uh, add some perspective to a lot of the training that you're doing. Oh, for sure. And like, obviously different community too. I mean, there's a lot of overlap, but I really appreciate like just being able to go ski with friends and like not talk about bikes and like not talk about high performance training all the time and just like have a different outlet. And that's been really, really helpful for me mentally and just, you know, to escape from the pressures of high performance sport. So. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Are there any great bits of advice you've received along the way? Yeah, back to my gymnastics days, I think um, one of the, it was a hard lesson to learn at the time, but I had, um, I had a skill I was trying to learn on the bars. Uh, I mean, I was 11. I, I like, I remember this, this day so well. Um, and I just threw like a fit over, like my coach was asking me to, to just do it. He was like, there's no, there's no like training wheels. Like you can't just there's no other way to do it other than to just do it. And I was like, no, I can't believe you're asking me to do this. It's way out of my element. I can't do it. I can't do it. And he just finally looks at me. He's like, okay, well go sit over in the corner there, like grab a piece of paper and a pen and you're going to write this statement until the end of practice. And it was whether you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. And I was miserable. I'm like crying, I'm like just like broken down 11 year old girl. But I, that has stuck with me forever. It's like this, this mentality of like, you convince yourself you can't do something well, you're not gonna be able to do it. But if you take the inverse of that, if you convince yourself you can, like within reason, um, you can and you can make it happen. And so that advice has stuck with me ever since i mean you know 14 years later here i am like recalling that moment so vividly um and i've definitely taken that to any sort of athletic endeavor i've had since just like believing in yourself and believing in the training that you've put in or whatever it may be leading up to what you're trying to attempt and uh trusting that it will will happen for you so that's uh, such a valuable learning experience hidden in such an old school coaching method. I know. I mean, I, it's probably like not, not well aged, but um, I kind of like that. I like the tough love coach aspect of things. And like, I definitely feel like I perform better when people push me. I push myself quite a bit, but I like, you know, like having someone light a fire under me and just, you know, challenge me to do better because i know i can and it it seems like that theme of self-belief has kind of ran kind of as an undercurrent in this conversation it uh, it it really stands out (laughs) i mean yeah you have to you have to i mean i think uh you know surrounding yourself with people who support you and believe in you is huge but also you know they can only get you so far like you you have to believe in yourself at the end of the day you know and I'm so fortunate to have this amazing network of people who've supported me all along the way ever since I was a little kid. But um, yeah, being able to like take control of of your dreams and what you want to accomplish is huge. You know, like you have to 
kind of want to to be there yourself well i think we're linking one question to another here but is there any advice that you give your younger self when you reflect back upon either your time in gymnastics or even as a, as a younger cyclist um i would say oh excuse me i need to drink water let me think i'm outside there's a lot of pollen like um yeah okay so advice from our younger self i would say just keep trusting in your mindset i don't know like it's hard i feel i feel like uh, it's i i don't know i think that's a really hard question because i i think i trust that you know all the decisions i made leading up to this point were you know, the best I could have made at the time. And, you know, you only take your experience and apply it to the next, to the next, but just stay positive and, um, and, and ask for help when you need it and stay motivated. But yeah, I think a, a good way to think about a question sometimes can be if you are taking on like a younger athlete, if you're tasked with mentoring or coaching kind of, uh, you know, a, a Clara from a couple of years ago. Yeah. Okay. I would say, um, set small goals and like ha have, have large overarching goals, like where you'd ultimately like to be, but have small goals that keep you accountable and keep you motivated. I would say that is the one piece of advice I would, would try to instill. <laughs> <laughs> I think that links that just links so neatly into your kind of attitude of self-belief and again the themes that have ran throughout the conversation. Yeah, I just think um if you're if you're like giving yourself benchmarks and progress points, uh it only like fuels your fire to keep getting better because you're like making progress and you're able to acknowledge, you know, how far you've come and um yeah, just trusting that you'll get you'll get to where you want to be if you just keep putting in the work it's that whole uh each, each step is achievable from the step before kind of mantra yeah i mean obviously there are going to be setbacks like it's not all going to be you know the perfect day of training that you'd hope for or perfect competition that you've you know trained your whole career for but um I think if you can take even just the, the challenges as learning experiences or opportunities and they're, you know, hidden opportunities, if they come as a big challenge at the time and um, hopefully move forward from there. So what does the future look like for you? Have you got any projects you're working on? Obviously you've got the, the Tokyo games coming up in a little under a hundred days now. Yeah. Around a hundred days. Um, yeah, we're just after the able-bodied Olympics, so I think we're somewhere right around 100. Yeah, because I think the Olympics just celebrated their 100 days out uh, last week or so. Um, yeah, like I said, I have this World Cup in Belgium. That'll be a great benchmark. I mean, unfortunately, with COVID, we won't have our entire um, field there. Like, there are some countries who won't be able to travel. Um, and so that will be the one downside is just it is a benchmark, but then, you know, you just don't know what the other people who aren't there are doing. Um, and then we have our team trials, our Paralympic trials in Minneapolis, which will be mid June. And I'm really lucky to have already qualified for the games, but it'll be kind of a monumental moment of 
with the naming ceremony and just the official being named to the team, which will be kind of a cool point. I can see it being pretty ceremonious. I, I don't quite know what to expect other than um, there are three sports, cycling, swimming, and track and field that all have our trials together. And then at the end, there's a, a naming ceremony. So I'm assuming it'll be something like a graduation. Um, but I'm really looking forward to that. My family is going to Minneapolis and luckily just don't have the pressure of trying to make the team, just knowing that um, it'll be kind of a celebratory weekend rather than a pressure filled need to perform to make the team. And then post Tokyo, my thought is keep racing my bike and doing more able-bodied racing. Um, I'd eventually like to make a professional team able-bodied and um, I would like to keep doing para and I'm really grateful to have it as an outlet, but um, would like to demonstrate that we're also like high performance athletes that can hold our own in an able-bodied field as well. And yeah, I feel like I'm, super strong and hopefully able to make that happen. So that's kind of my next big goal, you know, like it's a, it's not quite like pie in the sky, but it's, it's a big, it's a, it's a lofty goal for sure. But um, my hope is to do that before Paris 2024. Well, I'm sure from the, from the previous conversation, you've uh, taken the time to break down the steps leading up to that and yeah, I mean, like I said, I've only been racing for a few years, so I like need to work my way up in the able-bodied categories. Uh, the way USA Cycling has it all structured, um, they're very clear, like benchmarks for points-wise, and so at least that's helpful to just know like exactly what it takes to get to the end goal. So, and the naming ceremony just sounds like such a great celebration, especially going in knowing that you're you're kind of on the team but also to celebrate your teammates who may be qualified uh, at the event yeah of course um that that has been huge too is like i've only been on the team for a little bit but it does feel like i have such strong connections with these people and want to see them succeed as well um and of course it'll be heartbreaking and it's just going to be a small team and so like rooting for all of these people and knowing that some just might not make it and so yeah, hoping to be there to support that end as well. Just it's it's been a lot long road for all of us, and with the extra year with the postponement, especially just a lot of waiting and anxiety and pressure for them. So really want to support them. And when when's that event? Is that after your Bruges trip? Yep, that'll be uh, mid June. Yeah. And I'll actually have world championships right, right before that. So, um, sorry, I'll go Belgium, Portugal, and then, uh, the team trials in Minneapolis. So that's mid June. It's an so, action packed yeah. next few months. Yeah. It's going to be kind of crazy. Um, it, it feels like the calm before the storm. And, and it's also weird because we've had the schedule out for a year and I'm like, man, April, May, June, it's going to be so hectic. And then it's finally here. And I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> I had a year to prepare and it still feels like it's gonna be a lot yeah such a change of pace from the previous 12 months I imagine yeah yeah um yeah very lucky to 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 be healthy and be able to travel again so yeah I'm really excited to to see you back on the road again that's gonna be gonna be a blast I'm sure yeah it will be um and nice to see teammates again and yeah 
And then we chatted about it a bit as we went, but what does your support system look like? Uh, kind of on a, I guess, like on a personal kind of local level or, or even on like sponsorship level who, who helped you out along the way? Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, like primarily my family has been a huge support, uh, ever since, you know, I was a kid and getting hurt, my parents pretty much dropped everything to move south and help me uh, get the best care possible at one of the best rehab centers for spinal cord injuries and have since been so on board with this cycling pursuit like they are traveling to most races I have internationally and just kind of following me around as like my personal cheering squad and it is so heartwarming to just have them like be stoked and like you know obviously they saw the the progression me starting out not necessarily super successful and then have since you know had the success and they're just so thrilled um excuse me more pollen <laughs> um yeah and then my boyfriend who i keep mentioning his name is noah he's also on the team with me and he's my coach my training partner and mechanic and you know like everything check all the boxes he's that and so um, he's been, you know, just a huge, huge help and support. And I hope I'm the same to him in return. Just, we keep each other kind of level and cheering for each other, you know, every day as well as at the competition. Um, and then I have just this huge network in Maine who cheered me on ever since I was a kid and got hurt. Like I got hurt in a pretty small town. And so felt like I've always had this community, you know, cheering for me and supporting me. And then sponsor-wise, I've been very fortunate as well this year to line up some, especially, you know, in the midst of COVID, um, head wheels, which are um, some of the fastest wheels in the world. Very lucky to be riding them. Bolochio Apparel, they are my um, apparel sponsor on the bike and make some amazing, comfy, sharp-looking, high-quality vest uh cycling apparel and then just recently started working with laser uh as a helmet sponsor and so that's also super important keep the noggin safe and fast so yeah and i'm working with outride as well they are a nonprofit um advocating for more kids on bikes and just people on bikes in general and a really really nice organization to be partnered with so it's been a kind of a cool year to be involved with all of these different um partners and and hoping to spread the word about bikes and everything that goes with that. It's uh, it's amazing. What a great team to surround yourself with. Yeah, I'm really lucky to have everybody on my side. So, right, we're kind of we're kind of rounding off the time here. But have you got a number one takeaway for for our audience or a kind of fi final words of wisdom? <laughs> um, I mean, without sounding too cliche, like. I mean, how many times have I said this? Like, believe in yourself. Uh, maybe more, um, you know, less cliche. It's just, you know, pick, pick your passion, pick whatever you're doing. And just as long as you, uh, how do I want to say it? Like, you can make, make it happen to the extent you want to. Like, you don't need to be an elite athlete if you don't, you know, like, if you don't want to be competing at the highest level, don't. Like, just do things to the extent you want to and, um, yeah, commit yourself to the extent you want to and hopefully you can reach reach the point in your sport or your 
whatever activity it may be um, with, with the commitment level you're willing to put in and just set goals and, you know, uh, take the setbacks as opportunities and hopefully you can learn from the mistakes and keep, keep it being excited about what you're doing. That's what I would say. And sleep is very important. Don't, don't downplay the role of sleep. Recovery is an amazing thing. Amazing. Uh, Clara, thank you again so much for your time. Where can people, where can people connect with you? Where can they support you? Where can they follow along your journey, Tokyo and beyond? Uh, yeah. So on the Team USA website, uh, Team USA Paracycling, that has kind of all of our team updates and some pretty incredible athletes. So be sure to follow along with them. They also have an Instagram, US Paracycling. And then my personal Instagram is clara.brownie. So try to post some race updates and just life updates. Keep it fun. Keep it light. Some good photos, you know, some funny ones. <laughs> it's uh, it's all about balance. Here, you know. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll be sure to link everything in uh, in the show notes and stuff so people can click through and, and find you. That'd be awesome. And Noah, my boyfriend, I'd have to give him a shout out to his his handles at Gimp Cyclist. So he keeps it pretty pretty uh, high strung as well as you can tell. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll be sure to add that and people can follow along <laughs> yeah well again well, thank, you. thank you for your time yeah it was a blast having you having you on to chat yeah. about this stuff yeah i really appreciate your time and it's been fun fun hanging out thank you so much for joining me in that conversation with clara brown i loved hearing the diligence that clara brings in pursuing marginal gains consistently making one percent improvements across many areas of her athletic life if you enjoyed this interview and want to see more like it, then please take the time to subscribe to the channel and share it with anyone else who might find it interesting. I've been Andre Manzouk, and this has been Mountain Mindset. Until next time.